that somebody would want to hear me preach. <laughs> Seriously, it's like, really? Wow. I start booking up my calendar each year, you know, my meetings and everything. Somebody call me and say, would you come preach a meeting? Me? Really? I mean, seriously, it blows my mind that anybody would want to hear me preach. And, of course, after you hear me tonight, you'll probably figure out why. But anyway, uh, I'm just amazed, and I'm so honored. And your pastor has been one of the guys down through the years I've always looked up to. And, uh, you know, in pastoring, you, you, you're often, you feel isolated. And you, you do that. And you got friends and stuff, but you don't, you don't get to see them a lot. You don't get to fellowship. You don't get to talk. But, but in your mind, a lot of times you get down and you get discouraged. Guys like your pastor come to mind. And you're like, he's stuck with it all these yep. years. He's in there. i got to stay with it, too. And, and we encourage each other that way, not even realizing it. And uh, I appreciate him being so solid all these years. And just knowing this church is over here. Sometimes I'll come by out here on 901, and I, and I always thank God for you being here and your church and your pastor. And it's such a blessing, and I thank the Lord for it. And it's good to, good to hear what's going on on the West Coast. Um, I was in southeast Wyoming in 2017. And uh, it was a real, it was a real spiritual, actually I was hunting, but anyway, I'll be honest with you. Um, but uh, I was out there hunting and I thought, I, I talked to my, my preacher friends out there, older preacher friend of mine, he's in his 70s, been preaching over 50 years and we, we've been traveling a little bit together doing some hunting stuff and, and uh, we, we got talking about church. I said, what, where are we going to church? He said, you're not going to church here. I said, because we were there on Sunday morning, we were leaving to come home on, you know, on Sunday and I said, he said, you're not going to church here? I said, really? He said, there's no such thing here. And uh, he said, it is miles, hours to the nearest church, and it's not a Baptist. And that's one of the first times in my life that I felt that on a Sunday morning. I got up, and there was nowhere to go to church. I'd never experienced that in my life. I'm 48 years old, and I've never got up on a Sunday morning with nowhere to go to church. And it broke my heart. And I said, God, this is the United States, and there's no church here. He said, I'll tell you what's here. We, the, the nearest town had 32 people in it, population 32. He said, you can go to every town here. He said, there's not, he said, some of these little towns here, there's not a service station, not a grocery store. There's nothing. Every one of them has a bar. Every one of them, there's a bar in town. Every one of them. And uh, he said, right down there, you know, that town next to his closest town, he says, oldest bar in the state of Wyoming. He said, they've all got a bar, but there's no churches. And so I'm thankful that God's still calling young men Amen. to go to the West Coast and, and take the gospel and, and I hope more will answer the call to do that uh, before Jesus comes. And uh, again, I'm, I'm so honored to be here. My family couldn't be here. My wife's sick. She's on the weather. So uh, they didn't get to come tonight. But uh, I appreciate a few folks from our church being here. And um, they really just don't trust me to come see if I behave myself. But for whatever reason, I'm glad they're here. But it is good to be here. And I'm going to quit yakking and try to preach a little bit to you and be a help to you. And uh, I, I, I just can't stress how much uh, it is an honor to be here. Luke chapter 22 in your Bible, Luke 22. And I know two things about your pastor right at this moment. Number one, he's carrying the weight of the world with a building program. And number two, the devil is fighting him very hard. I've been through two of them. And the first one, the smaller one, the smaller building program that we did first, almost destroyed me. I almost didn't make it through it. It was almost the end of my ministry. Um, the last one, the big one, the massive one, was, was nowhere near that bad, but it was bad. And so it was really, really, really tough. So building programs, the devil hates so many fights. So we've been through two. And, um, so I'm, I'm too old to go through another one. So we pack this building out. People can sit on the roof for all I care. I ain't doing it again. It made no difference to me. All right. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I want to read something to you now. I want you to pay close attention. I want to show you something tonight. Luke 22, verse number 31. Luke 22, 31. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, 
When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Now, in another gospel, uh, the Bible tells you that Peter said this, Though all men deny you, Lord, I will never deny you. They might all do it, but old Peter won't do it. I'll never deny you. Now, in verse 54, notice this. It says, Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. About the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. Something happened to Peter between these two passages. I've preached about Peter all my life, and I'm sure your pastor has. And we've talked about Peter, you know, and how he, he drifted from the Lord and how he backslid and got away from the Lord, and, and that's practical, and we've done that. But it's a strange thing. You can read, uh, you, you know, I know most of you folks read your Bible every day, and you read through it at least, you know, through the year and all that stuff. And you can read it over and over and over and over. And I don't know how many years, over, I guess close to 30 years I've read this passage. And one morning, real quietly, I was reading this passage. And the Lord said, let me show you what happened to Peter. And it happens to Christians every day. And it was like a light went on. It, it wasn't that Peter backslid. It wasn't that Peter was drifting away from the Lord. And, you know, and I use that uh, like we all do, and I preach it. But I'm going to show you something about what happened to Peter. And it happens to a lot of Christians in their life. Here's what happened to him. Peter felt like, and, and I've, I've taught lessons on Peter character study, there was not a cowardly bone in Peter's body. Peter was afraid of nothing or nobody. He wasn't a coward. Peter felt like that Peter did right. He did the right thing. Scripturally, by conviction, he did the very best that he could. I'm going to show you how Peter stood up more than all those disciples here at the end of this thing when the Lord's betrayed and he did his best and he stuck his neck out there and did all that he could and yet he felt like he got a bad deal out of it. Peter felt like that Jesus let him down. And so that's what affected Peter here and caused him to deny the Lord. You ever been there? Have you ever felt like that you did right? And you know you did right, and you pretty much had to sacrifice to do it, but nothing came out of it. And if anything came out of it, it wasn't good. And in your mind, you're thinking, what in the world was that? I know it was the right thing, and I know I did right. In fact, it seemed like everything pretty much turned out wrong because you did right. Lord, you mean I did my best, and this is what I get out of it? You mean what I'm going to get out of this is heartache? or disappointment, or some kind of physical sickness or issue, or a financial disaster, or a rebellious child. And Lord, I did my very best, and look how it's turned out, Lord. This ain't good. And you feel like, actually, that God gave you a bad deal. That's exactly what happened to Peter here. Look at verse number 47. 
And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude. This is between those two passages, by the way. Behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? And when they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. John chapter 18 verse 10 tells you that the person who drew his sword here and cut off that servant's ear was Peter. Peter drew his sword and he cut that guy's ear off. And in Matthew 26 verse 52, here's what the Lord said to him when he did that. He said, uh, the Bible said, Then said Jesus unto him, Put up thy sword into his place, for all they that take up the sword shall perish with the sword. Two verses earlier, Jesus looked at Judas Iscariot and called him friend. Did you notice that? He don't rebuke Judas. He didn't rebuke Judas for betraying him. And then Peter draws his sword. The only man there to stand up for the Lord cuts his ear off. And Jesus takes the guy's ear, puts it back on, heals it, and acts like Peter never did anything. It just never happened. And Peter's standing here seeing all this stuff. And he sees all this thing. And, and in his mind, he's thinking, so this is the thanks I get? He doesn't rebuke the traitor, the man that just sold him out. He calls him free, and I didn't hear a negative word. And this is what I get. I did what I was told, and this is what I get out of it. Look at verse 36. Then said he unto them, but now he that hath a purse, this is before this happens, let him take it and likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. The Lord just told him to buy that sword. And he bought it. And he goes and gets the sword. What time in the world would there be another time to use it than now? The Bible tells you uh, in Matthew 26, 47 that those, all those people that came over there had swords and staves. They were all armed. And they came after his Savior. And Peter says, well, all these other guys can stand around if they want to, but I'm not. This is my Lord. I'm not taking this. And he drew his sword out and cut that guy's ear off. Jesus rebuked him and told him to put it up and fix the guy's ear. That's what thanks he gets for standing up for his Savior. You see, Peter's building bitterness in his heart. He's not afraid. He's not cowardly. He's not backslid. He's thinking, I did what you told me to do. I bought that sword. And if they're going to kill you and your life's going to end, there's not going to be any other time to use it than now. And so I just obeyed you and I did what you said. And look how this is turning out for me. This ain't turning out too well. And Peter's thinking all this and he's seeing all of it. Strange thing. I want to show you what led to Peter's wrong assumption, his wrong action, his wrong attitude, and the wrong outcome. It was Peter's fault that he wound up here, not the Lord's. Now, I don't know about you, I was cutting up about being a redneck a while ago. I don't know about you, but if I was armed and Jesus was standing beside me and somebody came to arrest him, I'd fight. I'd fight. I'd pull my gun. I usually have one real close, real close. So I'd pull my gun and I'd say, you're not taking him. You can take me, take somebody else, but you're not taking him. That was Peter's attitude. So you see, Peter's not the old rotten backslidden fellow that you think he is. 
Peter's more sold out than the rest of them. Peter's more concerned about defending his Savior than anybody else. Peter's willing to stand up more than anybody, and Peter felt like he got a bad deal out of it. Let me show you what happened. Number one, just a couple things here quickly. Four things. Number one, he acted on partial Scripture. I see this all the time in my ministry. I watch Christians who are doing good, and they're living good, and they get messed up because we all have a partial knowledge of the Bible. And there are certain verses that will come to mind, things come to mind. And then when we act in life, we act on partial Scripture. Well, I tell you what, I'm doing what the Bible says. Hey, the Bible says a whole lot of stuff. But sometimes we got it figured out. I might tear something up. Um, I'm known to do that. Sometimes we act on Scripture and we don't have the whole picture. And we've got it convinced in our mind that we're doing right because the Bible says that we're supposed to. Peter heard the part that he, that he wanted to hear. Or he was acting on the part that he heard. In verse number 37, he said, This that is written must be accomplished. You know what's strange about this? Here's Peter, and he's going to stop the Lord from going to the cross. All the way through your Gospels, watch this when you read through there. At least four times. Here the reference, four times. In uh, Matthew 16, 21 to 23, Matthew 17, 22 to 23, Matthew 20, 17 to 19, and Matthew 26, 1 to 2, at least four times Jesus told his disciples, they're going to come, they're going to take me, they're going to arrest me, they're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise again the third day. Amen. At least four times. And now Peter is trying to stop that from happening. Because Peter says, hey, he told me to buy a sword. I've got one. So I'm going to use it. Yeah, but what about the other four passages where he told you this had to happen to fulfill the Scriptures? Amen. See, he's acting on partial Scripture. I've had Christians almost sit and argue with me, yeah, preacher, but the Bible says this. Yeah, but the Bible says a whole lot of stuff. And so he acted on partial Scripture. Look in, um, I, I'll not go to all this, but the Bible said each time he did this, they understood not these sayings. In Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23, it was... Jesus said this. He said, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be delivered in the hands of sinners. I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, not so, Lord. This will never happen to you. I'm not going to let it happen. Peter's rebuking the Lord Jesus for what he said. Just like sometimes when the pastor tries to give people counsel and advice from the Word of God, they want to rebuke him for it because they got another verse that's better. And Peter's got one. He's got a verse. You said get a sword. I got it. Here it is. We're going to use it. And he's, he's missing that thing. He's acting on partial scripture. Too often, we're convinced that we're doing the things the way they have to be based on our limited knowledge of the Word of God. I know I did right, Lord. I did what you said, and look how it turned out. That Bible said if I do this, I do it. Now look how it's turned out, Lord. This ain't turned out very well. He did the best he knew. But the Lord had a different plan. Just because what you do is good doesn't mean it's God's plan. I think what Peter did was good. I think it was commendable. I think somebody said this about Peter. Uh, Peter cut the guy's ear off. I really don't think he was aiming at his ear. Somebody said Peter was better at fishing than he was at fencing. And I believe that. Because I think he's trying to take the fellow's head off and actually missed and took his ear off. He shoots like some of the Baptists I know. <laughs> Craziest thing. 
But what happened was Peter did what he thought was right, but it wasn't God's plan. Jesus kept dealing with him about what the plan of God was, and he kept ignoring it in his mind. Because he's on this course, he's got his mind set on this scripture. Oh, this is what we've got to do. Number two, he expected immediate results. Here's what got Peter in this mess. What would cause a man that's going to stand for the Lord to deny him and curse him and say, I don't even know him, the deal's bad, I've got ripped off here. He acted on partial scripture for one thing. Secondly, he expected immediate results. Peter needed that sword. Peter would need to use that sword. Now listen to this. This is what Jesus said in John 18, 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, every word in your Bible is so important. I'm going to give you one word. Get this thing. You'll see how important it is. He, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. Listen to this. But, here's your word, but now is my kingdom not from hence. His kingdom will be of this world. His servants will fight. It's all through the minor prophets. It's all through the major prophets. It's called the second advent of Jesus Christ. It's the most popular, uh, one of the most popular events in your Bible all the way through there. It's mentioned about, I don't know how many times, uh, through, through, the, through the Bible, it talks about that and his uh, servants fighting for him. And his kingdom will be just not now. Peter's doing the right thing at the wrong time. He's going to need that sword, and he's going to have to fight with that sword. But today is not the day. You know what happens to you and me? We do right, or we make a decision, and we get things figured out, and we expect God, the results to come today. We expect now, you know, in the next week or two, something good's going to happen. Hey, man, it might be years. And in Peter's case, listen to this. Listen, he bought that sword. He would need it, and it would be at least 2,000 years before he would need to use that sword. Is that not amazing? So Peter's in a mess because he wants results now. Because we do right and don't see positive results or even see negative results, you know what that means? Nothing. You say, I did right and I ain't saw nothing out of it. That means nothing. You say, I did the right thing and this happened and that happened and this bad happened. So? I've never read anywhere in my Bible if you do right, everything's going to turn out right. We've got the funniest idea about how things work in the Christian life, like Peter did. Well, if I do the right thing, boys, everything's going to be rosy and good and everything. It may not work that way. So it's one thing after another. I happily went to the urologist Friday for my yearly checkup. They said, how you feeling? I said, wonderful. I'm doing great. You had any problems? Nope. They said, well, you need to know this. You got two kidney stones in your right kidney again. It's one thing after another. You say, what? You know, people say, well, what meanness has he done? I don't reckon I've done much. But I'm not seeing a lot of results in this race right now. You say, what does that mean? Nothing. If you pastor a church sometimes, you'll think, I've lost my mind. I'm, I'm insane. It's, it's crazy. I mean, this, what, am, what am I doing? And everything's backwards and people fight you and people's against you and everything. You know what that means? Nothing. Listen to this thing. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Peter's not going to see results today. They're common, but not today. Even after Peter's act here and what he had done, if Peter had taken the rebuke that the Lord gave him, if he had owned up to his mistake and stayed with the Lord, he would have never denied him. He'd have been with him. Now, I know the Lord told him he would because the Lord knew what would happen. 
But it never would have happened that way if he had done that. Can you imagine Peter? And he's over there by the enemy's fire and he's warming. And uh, he's standing there around all them enemies and everything. And probably the longer he stands there, the madder he gets. The Lord's not looked at him yet and made him go out and weep bitterly and convicted him all that stuff. He's standing over and he is fuming. He's not, oh, he's backslid now, but that's not right the reason that he's here. He's standing over here warmed by this enemy's fire. I put my life on the line for him. Those people could have killed me. They had swords. They'd say, those were trained Roman soldiers. The most trained army in the world. They come over to get him. And I didn't see none of the rest of them standing up for him. And they could have killed me. I put my life on the line for him. And what does he do? He looks at the fool over there that betrayed him and said, friend. And he looks at me and fixes what I did, undoes it, and tells me to put my sword up and keep my mouth shut. Mm. I mean, I've done my best, and look what I get out of it. Look at some of these other disciples. A bunch of heathen. John over there. Anybody seen John? Where's John? Leaning on his breast, the disciple he loved. I don't see John. Anybody seen John? bunch of devils. I put my life on the line. I stuck my neck out. This is what happened to Peter, by the way. Just like happens to you. I went to church faithful. I tried to support that preacher. Something happened. He didn't show up just right on time or he didn't contact me or, or somebody the church hurt my feelings and, and uh, this happened to my child or this happened to my life and I, I tried to do the right thing or, or my kid went astray or whatever. Just like Peter, warned by the enemy's fire, we're mad because things didn't turn out right today. So he expected immediate results right now. Humiliation, rebuke in front of all those men. Now he's the laughing stock of the year. Not only in front of the disciples, but in front of all these soldiers. How could he ever show his face again? You ever feel like, I'm going to ask you a strange question. Don't answer this. I want you to look at me straight. Don't shake your head. Don't do anything. I want you to be honest with yourself one time. Do you ever feel like that God owes you just a little bit more than what you're getting? I mean, if you were real honest with yourself, you look down in your heart, you think, I really think God owes me just a little bit better than what I'm getting out of this thing. You're just about where Peter was. That's what Peter thought. I'm owed better than this. You understand that? shouldn't be like this. Get this principle. When you do right, ignore the immediate result. Just do right. At the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible said, then, then, then. Hey, we're not there yet. Then shall every man have praise of God. God. God will praise everybody then. Jesus will praise Peter later, not today. Today's not the day. But Peter expected immediate results. If you're in this race, get in it for the long haul. Don't expect anything good today. Expect bad today. It may fall apart today. Things may go. I know I'm a pessimist, but it may fall apart. You see enough bad, you'll be a pessimist. And it kind of falls apart. It means nothing until we get to the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not trying to be hard on you and mean, but Steve, I, I don't mean to be mean to you people. I'm trying to help you because what happens if you get where Peter was, you'll become bitter. You won't be any good to anybody. Number three, not only expect immediate results, but he was focused on how God dealt with others. 
Look, let me show you something. Look in John 21. I got to show you something. Look in John 21. This is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after all this stuff happens. And you know what's still there? You still see that old attitude of Peter creeping up there. Look in John 21. Here it is, that same old attitude. Verse number 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? That's John is the one that asked that question over there. They had John ask it finally. Verse 21. Peter seeing him, John. Peter's looking at John. Peter seeing him. He's on, he's on Facebook looking at John. Peter. That's what people do. You want to know what a dinosaur you're looking at? People, listen to this. I've never, in my, I'm 48 years old, I've never been on a social media site in my life. Don't even know how. Facebook, Twitter. I'll, I've seen a few quail flitter when I shot them out of the air. That's, that's all I know. I don't even know how to get on there. I have no idea. The Bible said that people comparing themselves among themselves is not wise. So I've never been on there. If you use it, I'm not, it's, it's, you use it for God's glory, however you use it or whatever, but I never have. Because here's what happens a lot of times. People start looking about what's going on in somebody else's life. Why don't I have that? Why ain't my life like that? Why don't I get to go to vacation there? Why don't I get? And, and you start comparing yourself and looking at other people. That's what happens. Now watch this. Watch this in John 21, verse, verse number 20, uh, 21. Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? What, what's John going to do? Look at 23 at the Lord's answer. 22. Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow me. You know what he said? Well, so what, what, what are you going to do with John? What, what's going to happen with John? And Jesus looked at him and said, It's none of your business. You do what you do. You follow me, and don't you worry about what I do in John's life. That's that same old attitude. I'm sure he was looking at him over there before. Listen, here's the way you get messed up. Quit worrying about how much God is blessing somebody else. You say, man, look what they've got. Oh, I could serve God if I had a home like that. And I could serve God if I had. Look, what God does in somebody else's life is none of my business. Preachers look at other preachers and say, boy, if I had a church like that, I'd be doing good. If I had a congregation that backed me like that, I'd be doing all right. Look, it's not about what somebody else has or what somebody. Is your God not big enough to do what he wants in your life and to give you what he wants you to have in your life? and to provide for you what he yeah. wants you to have. He knows what you can take. He knows what you need. He knows what to provide. Don't worry about what God's doing in somebody else's life. Christians get just all tore up, and they come to church. They're thinking, man, if, if I had that or look at them, boy, they got a new car or whatever. Well, it's a Ford. Don't worry about it. The Lord's a judgment of God on them anyway. And Oh, I killed the service right there. It was over. But you say, boy, if I had that and God gave me that and I had that job and I had somebody like that and I had a wife that provided for me like that and, and, and cooked and cleaned everything. Look, man, God's working in your life. If he's your savior, he knows what you need. And Peter got messed up because Peter was saying, what you gonna do in John's life? Why didn't this one do that? Why are you calling Judas friend? He's too worried about what's going on in somebody else's life. If you, the Bible said godliness with contentment is great gain. And so how you gain by just being content where God's put you. Wow, that, that's just a great thing if you get a hold of it to change your life. What business of yours or mine is it how God deals with anybody else? It's got nothing to, what God does in somebody else's life has nothing to do with me serving God or not. Do you know that? 
1 Thessalonians 4.11, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business. Don't worry about what he does or doesn't do in somebody else's life. It's illustrated in Matthew 20. Jesus illustrated I'm almost through. In Matthew 20, Jesus illustrated it this way. There's a householder over there, and he hires some men to go work in his field for one day. This is one of the most amazing parables in the Bible. I thought about this thing a lot. And he hires some men. There's one day's work here, and he hires them to go in his vineyard and work for one day for one penny. In your Bible, in the New Testament, a penny is a day's wage. So, so he hires them to go work for a penny. Well, they're there all day long, and they're working for a penny. He goes out the third hour of the day. Three hours already passed. And he finds some more men idle, and he hires them. And so they go out in the field, and they're working, same heat, same labor, but they have three hours less to work because three hours of the day is already gone. So they work in the field. And then he does the same thing the sixth hour, and then the ninth hour. So them guys that come out of the ninth hour have been sitting over there in a shade tree somewhere, sipping on lemonade, and somebody's already been working nine hours. They come out there all fresh and everything. Let's get some work done. And them other guys are thinking, have you lost your mind? We've been working for nine hours out here in this heat. And he gets her working, and no doubt they're looking at him thinking, what are they doing here? We've labored all day long. Well, to add injury to insult, here's what happens. They all come out of the field, and they all gather around to get paid. And the good man pays all of them the same thing. Mm. And it says this. It said that, that when they saw that, that they murmured against the good man of the house. They said, this is not right. Hey, look, this guy come out. He worked three hours. We worked 12, and you're giving him the same thing? It's not right. Oh, does that sound like anybody on your job? <laughs> They do have to work, I do, and get paid more than I do. You know, I, I didn't mean to get off on all that. You're a preacher, you just, just throw a buckshot out there every once in a while, you know. But they all come in there, he pays them all the same. And here's what he said. He pays them all a penny, and he said this. This is Matthew 20, verse number 13. Friend, I do thee no wrong. Get this. God has not done you wrong. Say, but you don't understand what all's happened in my life. And I've tried to go to church. I've tried to do right. And like old Peter there, I've stuck my neck out and I've been faithful. God has done you no wrong. He doesn't do wrong. He does everybody right. When you get to thinking in your mind that God has dealt me a bad hand and God's given me a bad deal, you are headed down a very bad road. The Lord said, I do thee no wrong. And here's what he said. He said, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? That means this. It all belongs to him anyway. He can do what he wants to with it. Amen. If God chooses to give somebody else more in their life good, than he does me, Amen. that's his business. That's right. If God chooses to bless some other preacher way better than he does me, they deserve it more than I do for the first thing. I'm not being I'm not poor mouth, I'm being serious. But if he does that, it's not my business. It's his to do with what he wants to. If you get up tomorrow morning and you chunk that thinking that you've been thinking, well, it just ain't right. I just, we struggle and we just, it's tough and I don't understand how other people have it easier. It's, just throw all that out the window. Right. Say, God, you're my Savior. You Amen. said you'd provide for me whatever you want in my life. Just help me to be content with it. If Peter had been content, said, you know what? These other disciples not doing this stuff and everything. But you know what? It's really not about them. Amen. This is what God's laid on my heart. And this is what Peter would never got bitter like he did. That's where he messed up. 
I, I, let me just close with this. Number four, he assumed he was spiritually ready for anything. He was prepared. In verse 31 to 33, there in your text, you don't have to turn back over, Luke 22, Peter said, listen to this. I'm going to give you three words he said. He said, Lord, the Lord talked to me, rebuked him, everything. He said, I'm going to die in all this. And he said, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee unto death. Here's the three words that hung him. I am ready. Was he ready? From the looks of things, Peter wasn't ready. Peter had Bible. You ever read 1st and 2nd Peter? Peter had Bible knowledge. Peter was sharp. Peter went places the other disciples. Peter, James, and John got to go places at least four or three that the other disciples didn't get to go. They went special places. They were in sight of the Lord. They could see him in the garden. Your Bible tells you that. He went a stone's throw from them. He was in view of them when he was in agony. The rest of the disciples couldn't see that, but Peter could. He could see it. And he said, Lord, I'm ready. They'll all deny you, but not me. I'm ready. And I've had so many people stand up in church and say, Preacher, I'll tell you what, I've been out there in the world. I'll never go back to that stuff. I'm ready to serve the Lord today. I never. And son, the FBI couldn't find them right now. Well, I'm ready. You know what happens? We're not prepared for everything that comes in this life. But Peter thought he was. You see, here's the message. How to avoid what happened to Peter. Number one, never be complacent with your knowledge of Scripture. Now, I know we learn every day, and I learn something in the Bible every single day. I learn something. I say, Lord, I appreciate that because I know it wasn't in there last time I read it, but that's good. (laughs) And I've read it through and through and through and through and through. All the way through, I don't know how many times. And, and never be complacent and say, you know what, I got this thing figured out. There's things in there you would never imagine that the Lord will bring up and say, you know what, you should have did this. You should have did that. So never be complacent with your knowledge of Scripture. Number two, never expect results for your labor for the Lord. Just don't, let's don't serve Him for results. Let's serve Him because we love Him. So I didn't want to do something for God if I could get something out of it. It ain't about you getting something out of it. I, th- I run this in the ground at the church. I say, you know what's wrong with today? People's attitude is, I'm coming here, preacher. I come to church. Now what do I get out of it? I'm here. What can I get out of it? It should never be that way. You should walk in the door and say, Lord, I'm here. What can you get out of it? Church is never about me. When I go to church, it's never about me. It's always about Jesus. What if all of us, what, all you folks, what if you walked in here on Sunday morning and everybody had this attitude, you'd prayed and said, Lord, what can you get out of it today? What can you get out of me? What can you get out of this? Instead of what can I get out of this? You know, the thing is, number one, never be complacent with your knowledge of Scripture. Number two, never expect results for your labor for God. Number three, never compare God's work in the lives of others with his work in your life. What God does in your life is unique. What he does in the life of others is unique. And then number four, never assume you're ready for anything. Always depend on the Lord and stay humble. There's there's things that'll come in life that'll blindside you. You know, there's a strange thing I can't figure out. Brother Steve, I, I I can't figure this thing out. I've been in this thing over 30 years 
I've been pastoring and, and doing evangelistic work, and I've taught the Bible. At our church, verse by verse, thoroughly, verse by verse at our church, I've taught the entire New Testament except Mark and Luke. Every verse. Years through the whole thing. Books of the Old Testament and everything. And today, things come into my life, and I feel so unknowledgeable and foolish I don't know what to do. I think, Lord, I'm supposed to be smarter than I was 20 years ago. But I feel so dumb right now. I don't know what to do. And I can't figure that out. I told somebody, I said, honestly, I think I'm getting dumber as I get older. And you're supposed to get, those gray hairs are supposed to mean wisdom, but it ain't working with me. I can't figure the thing out. You know what the Lord says? He says, it's because you're supposed to depend on me, yeah. not what you know or what you've learned or what you think you know. Yeah. Depend on me. And there's times like a little baby, I have to get down and say, God, you've got to help me because I don't know what to do. Amen. I just don't know. See, Peter got in a mess. And Peter wound up cursing, denying the Lord. You ever thought about this? I wonder how many of them people around there that day, around that fire, around where the Lord was, I wonder how many of them went to hell because they saw a hypocrite. Peter preached on Pentecost. Thousands got saved. Remember that? But I wonder how many more went to hell because this man, Peter, had the idea. Lord, you gave me a bad deal. I did my best. I got a bad deal out of it. Friend, I do thee no wrong. God, never does wrong. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Brother Stephen, you come. Thank you so much. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Man. I don't know when we've heard a message quite like that. I think probably there ought to be a lot of movement tonight. God hasn't given you a bad deal. One of the worst things that will ever come in a Christian's life is bitterness. When you just feel like God hasn't done you right. I think tonight we've heard one of the most powerful messages we've heard in a long, long time. I'm going to ask you to stand all over the auditorium this evening. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Many are already already making their way to the altar tonight. And I think maybe probably here in just a moment there ought to be some maybe maybe some others maybe ought to tiptoe down and just find a place. The devil came to you and said, you know what? That's not right. It's not right that God let that happen. God's not fair. It's not right that God treats you like that. It's not right that God let that happen in your family. It's not right that God allowed you to use to lose that job. It's not right. And here's the bad thing is, sometimes if we're not careful, we start believing what the devil says. Well, I'm so glad God sent a man of God tonight to help us 
with that this evening. Tonight, here's what ought to happen tonight. Some folks ought to tiptoe down to this altar and say, Lord, I don't understand everything you've done, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. If you're here this evening and you don't know that you know that you're saved and going to heaven when you die, I want to encourage you to come. I'm going to make my way to the main floor as they sing, and we're here to help you. But uh, you're here tonight. God's speaking to your heart. I want you to come. Just come on, find a place tonight. We'll keep our heads bowed just for a moment. Y'all sing tonight. You come while we wait.